Good morning, everyone. I'm really happy to be with you, to share with you specifically some personal testimony today. Uh, I am going to open up and start from 2 Kings chapter 3. I'm actually going to read through that whole chapter. And really, I'm going to share our family's uh, testimony over the last 10 to 12 years in context with uh, that chapter that I'm going to read in 2 Kings. So, really, just to prepare you, a lot of you have probably heard a lot of these things, these stories, uh, and have actually played a significant role in a lot of these stories. Really, the whole idea is getting us back here to Palm Bay, to the Melbourne area, uh, where we have deep roots, and we've done a lot of ministry work, and we were on a wilderness for a little while. So we're going to share that. And my hope is that as you hear it, as you hear the story of our family, you know uh, we're very active here. I'm part-time staff here helping uh, with media, helping with uh, worship. And uh, we have nine children, and you'll see them running around. So <laughs> when Aaron dismisses the kids and it gets really quiet like this, that's because my children have left the sanctuary. No joke. But um, I'd like to think we have a pretty in interesting story that I think, I, I just feel in my heart, when I was really praying about this, asking the Lord, Lord, what to share this Sunday, um, I felt the Lord impress on my heart to share our personal story with you. And so that's what I want to do. Father, we love you, we glorify you, and I ask, Lord, that you truly would be glorified with um, this word today, with the message. I know your great love towards our family has um, been so radical and unbelievable in so many ways. And I want to share that. I want that to come forward in a powerful way that people's hearts would be impacted with your goodness, Lord. You are a good father. And you are so capable of changing our lives, of bringing your promises to fruition in our lives, of accomplishing your great will. And Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what are we going to talk about today? So, um, Daniel, if you could pull up that amazing meme. So as I was praying this uh, week, um, God was stirring in me a word that I had actually touched on like maybe 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And this word, I was thinking, well, I, I taught on this from 2 Kings 3, 10 or 12 years ago. Shouldn't I just find something more fresh? And I felt like the Lord say, no, I want you to bring your personal story through this when you taught on it. It was so long ago, and it was so different in your walk with me. So much has changed that I want you to hit it again. And so I was, I was mauling that over, and through my feed one day, this meme popped up this week and was a total confirmation. You'll see why. But basically, quote of the week, that's what it said. God is in control, but he doesn't expect you to lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. So the title of my message, which is not as glamorous as it was 12 years ago, is, Daniel, if you'll pull it up, dig a hole. So <laughs> I love this story in 2 Kings chapter 3. If, you, if you've read it, if you've heard it, it's kind of, you know, I, when I first came upon it, you know, whatever, 13, 14 years ago, I was reading it, I was shocked that it hadn't resonated with me before that moment because it's a truly amazing story. And at the time, the message was digging, digging trenches, which sounds a little bit better than dig a hole, but today it's just plain dig a hole. Let's simplify it, let's not complicate this, and let's talk about what that actually means. So I'm going to read 2 Kings chapter 3, 
Uh, it's a shorter chapter, but because I'm reading a whole chapter, um, it's a bit much to digest. But again, I'm only going to pull little points from this and then bring you into my story through this. So the best you can, just kind of fall through. It's an amazing story. It's a lot of fun. Uh, let's read it. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 3. Now, Jeroram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. This king, Jeroram, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and his mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal, which his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel's sin. He did not depart from them. Now, Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. Remember this, guys, this is important. He was a sheep breeder, and he used to pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel, and King Jeoram went out of Samaria at the time and mustered all Israel. So all of a sudden, Mesha was, was not paying his dues the way that he needed to. So there you go. He's not paying the rent or whatever's going on. Now the king of Israel has an issue. So he gets all of Israel to go after this guy. Then he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So we see the separation in kingdoms. And he goes to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and he says this, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And Jehoshaphat, being a man of integrity and honor and loyalty, said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. He said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way of the wilderness of Adam. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Adam. So now there's three kings. They made a circuit of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Adam went down to him. Now Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, no, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to give them into the hand of Moab. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now, very harsh, right? But now, bring me a minstrel. And it came about when the minstrel, I wish we could just, minstrel, like, imagine in your life, you're just all of a sudden, we need a minstrel right now, and just like, gather the, you know, that would be amazing. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. He said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of trenches. So pause. I'm going to finish reading and I don't want to get too much into it. But just so you can kind of see what's going on here. They have a serious problem. They've been traveling days with no water for their horses, for their men. And they're out in a very dry, dry, arid climate. 
And the solution, the great prophet, is dig trenches. Imagine that. If you've ever done any digging, even in Florida weather, which I have, it is absolutely brutal. But imagine doing that with dehydration, no water. So make this valley full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, both you and your cattle and your beasts. This is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. This is a small thing. So solving your issue with water is a slight thing. Listen to what he says past that. He says, he will also give you, the Lord will also give you the Moabites into your hand. Then you shall strike every fortified city and every choice city and fell every good tree and stop all springs of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. It happened in the morning about the time of offering the sacrifice that behold, water came by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. Just the trenches? No, more than the trenches. The whole area was filled with water, right? Now all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them. And all who were able to put on armor and older were summoned and stood on the border. So now we have a massive Moabite army and they're going to deal with this situation. They rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water. And the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. Then they said, this is blood. The kings have surely fought together. They have slain one another. Now, therefore, Moab, to the spoil. So they call the charge and they go forth. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites arose and struck the Moabites so that they fled before them and they went forward into the land, slaughtering the Moabites. Thus they destroyed the cities and each one threw a stone on every piece of good land and filled it, and it goes on and goes on. You can finish that. They fulfilled the prophecy of not just having their water situation solved, but they completely decimated the enemy. The thing that I believe we can take a little bit of license with is if the whole valley was filled with water, if it wasn't just the trenches, the holes, whatever they had there, and it looked like the whole thing was covered in blood, I think it's safe to assume that when the Moabite army came charging through there, what did they thinking they're going to come across this thin layer of blood, and all of a sudden it's trenches, right? So we know that God gave them the Moabites, but the Moabites are coming in power. What gives Judah and Israel the advantage? Well, it was completely the Lord's miracle that did it. They were not prepared for what they encountered when they got down there. Not only were Israel and Judah and the king of Edom, not only were they unified, but it was an ambush, in my opinion, when they came down there charging through there. Imagine the mess that would have happened. Pretty amazing story. Now, I want you to take these principles, and we'll touch a little bit more on this story, but these are the principles we're going to move into this next part where I share our personal story. Um, focus. So there's a problem that arises in this situation, but we see... Uh, a difference between focusing on the problem versus focusing on God, or in other words, God's ability to completely solve the problem. So we can focus on the problem, or we can focus on sovereign God who's completely capable and able 
to solve our problem in ways that we have no understanding or idea, right? So that's the first principle. The second one is the solution. How does it come about? Does it come about when we look at our problem? And again, what is it? Maybe it's paying our mortgage. Maybe it's just putting food on the table. Maybe it's some stressful situation in your life. You find the problem, and as you hear our journey, you'll hear some of our problems. You find those things that you relate to and say, yeah, this is, wow, look at that. The way we look at this situation of 2 Kings chapter 3 and determine, am I spending most of my focus trying to solve this in what I would think is a really smart way, worldly wisdom, secular means, or am I trusting the spirit of God to provide the solution? Where's my focus? So, and where does the solution come from? So focus and the solution, is it coming from the spirit of God or am I attempting to do something on my own? And the third one is stepping out in faith. So putting action to the promise. It's not good enough just to know. So say you, your focus is on God, step one, and you seek the Holy Spirit for the solution to your problem, step two, but you fall short of the obedience that the Lord may be asking you Hence, the idea, am I just sitting on my, leaning on my shovel? Or am I doing the action that's appropriate for what God wants to do? And why do we do that? We, we can't earn our faith. We know that. So don't, please don't mistake it as working for salvation and working for something. But throughout Scripture, God calls us to action. Where the rubber meets the road. And that's where we see a live act of faith do miraculous things in our life through the power of God because God wants us to partner with him. Yes, he can do it completely. He can dig the hole, right? He's not going to do that. There are times when God just completely, hey, step aside. He's got this, and he always has it. We know that. But as a good father, he wants involvement. He wants us to be involved in that process. Amen? So that means action and standing firm when we take that action. So, um, when we see these trials, adversity, things happen, what's our response? That's what I'm trying to get to. Do we exercise our faith like we see in James chapter 2, verse 14? Are we putting works to our faith? Or is it just kind of an idea that we have, and we say, yeah, I believe, right? Well, listen to how James puts it. And we know this one, chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but ha he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? You can have faith and believe that God's going to provide for that need, but God's saying, you're the provision for that need right? God does that a lot, many times, most of the times, correct? You're the provision for that miracle. And he does it in our own life. If you do this, I will open the floodgates of heaven. Him opening the floodgates completely eclipses the little we do. But the little we do is not that God needs us to do that little. It unlocks something in our life. It, it, it starts to equip us to be men and women of faith, faith that move in power to 
follow the Lord in whatever course he gives us to strengthen us in ways. He wants to use these situations to build that in us. So, verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder, correct? But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It goes on, it's really good, you should read it. Um, so we need to put what God's calling us to put to our faith, to see God come through in a massive miracle. Again, go back to that visual of digging those holes and trenches in that valley. The prophet said, what? Can you imagine these guys just like killing, breaking their backs, killing themselves? They're so thirsty, and all they see is this dry dirt that they're digging up. And that's the prophet's answer. So what's your, what's your trial? Who's your prophet? You hear from the Lord. Call the minstrel. What does that mean? Worship. Go to the Lord and worship. Establish that truth in your life. When something arises, as small as it may be, as large as it may be, go to the Lord and worship. Look at the difference between the two kings. I love this. Let's look at their names, because I love names. And if you study the meaning of these names, you really start to see an amazing picture. And I believe that's the goodness of God. He orchestrates all this, and he gives us many beautiful pieces of it that if we search it out, we'll see. Um, the evil king, Jeroram, his name means Yah. So there's that Yah, like my name, Jer. Um, Yah is high. Jehoshaphat, so there's Yah again at the beginning. Yah has judged or Yah governs. Two different approaches. How are, they're both beautiful names. God is high. God's high and exalted. But do we view God as some high, out-of-touch, lofty entity that is not fully engaged in our lives, or do we view him as a loving, sovereign, governing God who is very active, and his judgment is the only judgment we listen to? Or do we listen to the voice of the enemy that says, you're never going to be able to pay your bills on time. You're, you're never going to be able to get out of this situation. This relationship's never going to have breakthrough. This is always going to be this way. Those are judgments from the enemy. They don't come from the Lord. What's the judgment of the Lord in your life? And so Jehoshaphat, he symbolizes that for us. But also what's interesting is he's wise in the spirit. He understands, look, we need a prophet right now. We, we're in a mess. We're in a really serious situation. We need a prophet. Call Elisha. Well, guess what? Elisha is the son of who? Shaphat. Jehoshaphat. Judge. Elisha is a son of the judge, right? And so we see this incredible picture of what God is doing, that it's all connecting. God's going to be active in this situation. So for our family, our story was we, about 10, 12 years ago, we were uh, in Israel as missionaries for two years. And it was an amazing, beautiful time. We were on staff at a local church at the time. It's, it's, uh, it was our father's house at the time. And that's when the economy, if you remember, took a huge hit with the recession at that time. So we were unable to continue that journey. We really wanted to be there. God did amazing things. 
Um, but we had to come back home. We had a home we couldn't sell. We started becoming upside down in that home. And as a young family, at the time we had three children. We had Ezra, Avner, and Daniel were tiny little guys. We had to come home. But before we left, literally days before, I'll share this testimony with you. Um, we were living not far from Jer Jerusalem. What would you say about 40 minutes or so from Jerusalem? In the foot the Judean foothills as it starts to ascend to Jerusalem, in a town there. Um, and one night I woke up, and I was awake, but I couldn't really move. But I, I know I was awake because I could see Laura and I could see my room. It wasn't a dreamy thing, but it felt like I wasn't fully awake, but I was very aware of the room. And in the room, there was, all I can explain, it was like a pillar of light, and it was like shafts of light, shimmering, glimmering, and it was moving around the bed. And, I, and all of a sudden, my heart felt like it was going to completely come out of my chest. And I was like trying to tell Laura, and then I passed out and went into this dream. I had a series of three dreams. The first and second were significant, but they were one after another. And I won't talk about the last dream. I won't share the whole thing. Some of you have heard this. It was the, the most significant dream I've ever had in my life because I have never had experience that felt this real through this dream. And, and what happened in the dream... The Lord showed me my past where I grew up, um, in the old neighborhood I grew up, and I was digging in this street, and I found an old treasure, and the old treasure was some ancient golden device, but if I opened it, it was this huge beam of light would go into the, to the sky, and as I would shine it into the sky, I could see all the apostles, the uh, men and women of faith in the Bible, and they were cloud formations, but when I sh would shine this into the light, they would come alive. And they were watching me. And I started like going crazy. And there was this, and I was going running through my neighborhood. Can you see this? Can you see this? And I'm like going nuts. And there was a young man who, when we were kids, he would bully me all the time. Um, his name was Steven. And uh, I was showing him. And I was trying to get him to understand, can you see God is real? Can you see this? He's like, I don't see what you're saying. So I said it a second time, God is real, open up your eyes, can you see this? I don't see it. I said it the third time and he fell on his face, started trembling, he started confessing all his sins, he got saved in the dream. I could see it, I could see it. So I'm like running around like this is unbelievable. All, all of a sudden I hear a boom like I've never heard behind me. Massive boom and I look and turn around and shafts of light, there was a hole in the sky and sh this huge shaft of light was coming down like a golden escalator, and it was above my old home, which is now burned down, by the way, but it was, it was above that home. And I look, and I see Jesus coming down this escalator. So I'm like trembling. And again, this is, again, the most real thing I've ever experienced. I mean that. You can ask my wife when I woke up. I could not, it felt like it was happening. And I'm trembling and shaking, making my way, because I want to be there. But as I move towards the escalator, I can see faces that Jesus has. His faces are shifting and changing. There's this one face that's not looking at me. Absolute anger, wrath, terror. And I remember thinking in my heart, I'm so glad that face isn't looking at me. Whoever that face is for, I can't even imagine. I remember thinking that. When he looked at me... When the face looked at me, it was nothing but love, um, joy, compassion, just such a deep father's love. 
I ran over and I fell on the ground. He was there standing before me. He finally made it down. About time I made it to him and he made it off the escalator. I was on the ground. I was confessing every sin I could think of, every little thing. And he was just like almost laughing. He was putting his hand on me. It was almost like that wasn't important to him. And he wanted me to stand up. He said, I want to tell you what you're going to do. And I said, what are, we, are we supposed to be leaving Israel? And he said, yes, I want you to leave and I want you to go back to Florida. You are, I'm going to have you serve in a military function for a while and then I'm going to drastically change things for you. This, this was in 2000, January 17, 2009. So we were back in Florida, what, maybe a week or a couple of weeks after that. We knew God was calling us back. And we um, got involved at our church again, but then with the economy, they had to start making cuts at, at that church. So I was doing full-time ministry at the time. I was doing worship leading and other things. And because of the way the finances uh, were going, they had to start cutting positions. So, and we were losing our home. We lost our home, we had to short sell it, and we had to move out of Florida. I'm like, I thought we were supposed to be here in Florida. What's going on? We're in North Carolina, and we're living with my wife's mom. Um, and I'm working with her husband, like, basically pulling to toilets up and plumbing and AC work and getting in the hot attics in North Carolina, doing all this stuff. I'm like, well, you know, what's going on here? I went from being a missionary in Israel and full-time work, and now I'm doing this. That started our period of wilderness. That wilderness continued for years. And I started to go to the marketplace, and I started a video production company that did really well. And all of these things just started playing out. I was like, well, I guess that's it for ministry, other than we weren't really involved in a church. We had tried some places, communities, and we just never really connected or clicked. We felt on the outside. And we were getting very disheartened and disenfranchised. Over the years, we were just feeling, God, what do you have? We're on a, a bench here. And... In December of 2018, Laura went to a One Thing conference in Kansas City, and she got a specific word that God was going to call us back to Melbourne. She came home and shared it with me, and at this time, I had a really nice teaching job in Winter Haven um, at a private school, and I was making really good money, and I had just determined, yeah, it's you know, not full-time ministry, but I'm, I'm creating relationships with these kids, and God's doing amazing stuff. It's paying the bills. And I was determined, oh, I guess this is what we're going to do. It's in central Florida, which is weird, but hey, nothing wrong with that. And so she tells me about Melbourne, and, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way we're going back to Melbourne. There's nothing for us there. We tried to stay there. It didn't work. God sent us out from away from there. In February of 2019, as God started building this promise, and I'm going to share a little bit, a couple things from journal entries. Um, that were really pivotal. I went to go see Stuart Greaves at uh, a One King, it was called the One King Conference in Fort Pierce at Open Door House of Prayer. I knew Stuart when I was back at House of Prayer on staff. I was close with Stuart, I didn't know him from here. And when I met Laura, all those connections came to be and I moved to Florida and, and so we share a lot of really cool commonality that way. But I, wanted, I really wanted to go to this. I wanted to see Stuart, reconnect with him. Stuart said this line as he was teaching, and it hit me like a sledgehammer. He said, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was called with a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus at 30 years old, but was not released into full-time missionary ministry until 45 years old. Forty years later, there, 
there were already millions of converts from Paul's ministry. And then he started to say, um, we're sending out a lot of 20-year-olds, young people, into the world, and they're unprepared. They don't have the type of experience that a 30 to 40-year-old person has. And we're seeing a lot of fallout from that. And so it impacted me because I felt, as someone at that time in 2019, that, um, I'm trying to do the math, I was in my 40s, over 40, and I was thinking, yeah, that speaks to me. Holy cow. So I wrote this down. I said, this is so similar to our story. Paul had a face-to-face with Jesus at 30. When I was 30, I had this dream. Oh, by the way, when I woke up from that dream, I was shaking in my bed, and I was weeping because I wanted to be back with Jesus. And I was telling Laura, I I just want to be back with Jesus. I want to be back with Jesus. That's how real it was. It wasn't like, I thought it was absolutely real, and I got dropped off at at our apartment. I'm like, what happened here? I want to, let's go back to where we were. And that was my face-to-face in that dream. And so it was really hitting me because I was seeing the similarities. Saw Jesus this way at 30. God gave me that specific word at 30. And here I am in my 40s. So I was starting to get encouraged. I came home and I was pumped up. I was thinking, it's not too late for me. I'm not too old. What am I talking about here? What's going on? And then it started to build my faith to return back to Melbourne. We started believing. We started trusting God. We started seeking God in prayer. We started understanding that we had to put our faith in action. To, it wasn't just good enough that God said, I'm going to bring you back to Melbourne. We had to put our faith to action. And we started to do that in many, many different ways. That would take too long to share that with you. But the biggest one that, that, that I want to share with you that was the most significant um, was when, and, and this starts overlapping with a lot of you that are here. As we started, we started coming back to Melbourne in faith. So we were driving, what was it? And you guys have heard, a lot of you have heard this, hour 35 minutes or whatever, one way. We determined we're going to go to Church on the Rock. We came here one Sunday and we just connected immediately. Of course, we have so many friends and history here, but we felt like that's where we're going to go. And this was back in 2019, yeah, July of 2019. We committed, even though we're living in Haines City, we're going to drive because that's our home church and God's going to bring us to Melbourne. So we're going to start putting our roots down. Now, dig a hole, right? That was a hole. Hour 35, one way, with nine children, back and forth for however long we did that. Well, in that process, we started making really dear friendships here with people here. And we had, the, we had families would come out and visit us. It wasn't us just going there. They were making trips to be with us. And we had the Stebbins over one day. And I, here's the part of the story I didn't, I didn't really share with you, but I had started training in Krav Maga, which is an Israeli hand-to-hand combat system. It's a military combat system. And I never made the connection. But when we got back from Israel and I started doing all my video production work, editing at a computer for hours, I really started getting out of shape in a big way. And I had a situation where I thought I was having a heart attack. I was overweight. I couldn't chase my son, like from here to the tree out there without feeling like I was going to die. And I said, I need to do something. I need to change something. And I said, if I'm going to change something, it's not going to be me at Crunch Fitness on a treadmill. I need to do something that's going to discipline me. And I thought, Krav Maga from Israel, I had learned about that. I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to do that Israeli hand-to-hand combat stuff. So I found one of the best places in Central Florida, and I started training. But that was it. I just thought, I'll train. And it radically changed my life. And I would have never thought God wanted to use that. I thought... This is just a cool thing to do. Well, I was showing the Stebbins some stuff. We were, they were in our living room, 
And I said, yeah, this stuff I do with Krav Maga, and I, had already, I was already a brown belt at the time, level five. I had been doing it for a little while. And I showed them a gun disarm. They're like, that is some really cool stuff. You need to be teaching this stuff. I took them seriously on that. When they said that, I started praying. But what they did not know is this word from the Lord in, um, in July 11th. The Lord spoke this to me, July 11th, 2019. <sighs> Sorry, when we started moving out in faith, one morning in prayer, I started hearing from the Lord. He said, leave the nest. Everything is prepared and ready. Now is the time. I'm calling you to lead a school, and then hard times will come. July 11th, 2019. I, Krav Maga was not on my radar. When I saw a school, I thought, maybe it's a worship school. Maybe it's prophetic school. I would have never thought teaching Krav Maga. That was insane. That was 2019. They came to us in November of 2019. They said, you need to teach this. I started free classes on Sunday after church. Since we were making a trip, I thought, I can stay a little longer and do free classes. The classes started getting flooded. We were doing two free classes a week. And it started building, building. And I was like, I'm going to have to expand this. Well, check this out. In, we did that for a while, and in January 17th, uh, 2020, I had started a few weeks of classes, and it was already taking off. And again, it was free, but people loved it, and it was, it was an amazing time. It was, we were sharing a little unit with the Stebbins. They were doing their pawn business, and I was doing this Krav Maga stuff, throwing my mats down. But then we had to pull all the mats up and put them against the wall so they could back their truck in. We did that. Remember, Brett? We did that every single weekend and more than that. And, and then I got this word. I heard um, the Lord say, you are going to need a bigger facility to train. I heard that January 17th, 2020. A year after that, our business had exploded where we were no longer doing free classes we were doing paid membership because people were saying, I'll pay you to do this. We want to pay you to do this. I started with five members and quit my teaching job. I resigned from it and did not renew my contract. Our family was traveling from Haines City. I left that job behind to jump out and do full, not even full-time business. We were only teaching a few classes with five or six or less than 10 members thinking, what on earth are we doing? I have nine children. We have a house, we have a mortgage, we have to pay the gas back and forth. What are we doing here? And God said, you need a bigger facility to train, and we had just started. And I thought, what are you talking about, God? We have like 10 people here. And he grew it. He kept growing it. We had more people jump on, more families, like the marches, come on and partner with us. And the marches said to us, the only reason uh, why their, their hearts jumped to partner, they said, we need to get you over here in Melbourne, and we want to help you get to Melbourne. They partnered with us in the business, and they made it absolutely possible. We wouldn't have been able to do it. And they said, we want you in Melbourne. You need to be here. Their family partnered with us. The business exploded, absolutely exploded. And we did it. We moved. And, and it wasn't as easy as that, but we dug a lot of holes. We dug so many holes that God just kept filling and filling. Dig the hole, I'll fill it. Dig the hole, I'll fill it. Over and over again. I want to leave you with one, one last thing because I'm there on time. And how does, this, how does this apply to us? So 
We were one night in Haines City. We were so tempted to try to figure things out on our own before all this started to materialize. We were so tempted to try and make decisions to try and make this all happen. And God was so faithful to tell us, that's foolish, that's Jeroram rather than Jehoshaphat. That's a high and lofty idea rather than I will govern your situation and I will be your judge and I will judge a situation. We came across a situation from my video production background from years before when I first started and I started my video production company. I was doing promos and stuff for organizations, pretty really nice projects, but I was licensing music in a way that at the time I thought was the right way to do it. Well, over years of doing it a certain way, it turns out it was not the right way to do it. And I owed $4,000 for licensing fees for music. We're trying to get here, and I'm like, what on earth are we going to do? I can't pay that. And I'm just sweating bullets. They're, I'm in communication. I'm like, I'm going to do my best to get this figured out and pay you. And they weren't really working with us to do a kind of easy way to do it. They wanted the money. So we were sitting in the kids' room saying goodnight to them and praying for them. And all of a sudden, I heard crystal clear in my heart. I want you to invest money in Caltech. I, I wasn't into investing. I wasn't doing stocks. All of a sudden, I heard it clear as day in my heart. What is that? I turned to Laura. Even as it hit me, she saw my face change. I was like, invest, what was it, $1,500 in Caltech. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I researched it. I found stocks to put. But I said, Lord, we don't have that money. I owe this. I said, if you give us exactly what we need to pay that and to invest, I will, I will jump on this and I will do it. I'll dig the hole. Well, lo and behold, a tax return came, and it was exactly the amount to pay off my debt and do this. But it gets better. So I'm thinking, ooh, stocks. <laughs> so I put it into this, to this stock, and it did well. $6,000 later, it did well. And I'm like, yes, God, that's awesome. Money to go to Melbourne. He said, no, I want you to give it to your friends who were missionaries in Israel. They were Israelis. They left Israel to go to New Zealand. And one morning, I'm reading their newsletter. And they're like, oh, we have such a need. We're having all these Israelis travel to New Zealand. And God is doing amazing work. We're seeing conversions because they were Israelis in New Zealand, and they were believers of Jesus, so they wanted to have this little home, this little um, hotel. hotel little thing, and they needed roughly about what we had, and I was like, wow, that's interesting, and the Lord said, that's where it's going. I said, what? We need, we need this. We need to get over there. We need this, and it was unbelievable. We did it in faith. We dug the hole. We did it. And I can't tell you how God, beyond that, blessed us beyond that. So what's, what's the point? I've taken a long time. What's the point? My point is this. Why do I share all this with you? Because you have obstacles and barriers the way that these kings had, just like we have. We all share the same stories. What is our approach to it? And I mean this with all my heart. Do we just try to line everything up and say, I can do this and do this because I've been, you know taking care of this and putting this away and doing this? Or do we say, where's the minstrel? Where's the prophet? What is the Lord telling me to do? Because I can tell you from personal testimony and experience, God may not ask you to do the most obvious thing. He may ask you to do something radical, to dig a hole you don't want to dig. But the way he will fill it is a testimony 
that will not only change your life and draw you closer to the Lord, it will empower others to radical obedience, to step out in faith. Our, our gym now, it's, it's more of a ministry to us than it is anything. We're not millionaires living off that thing. We're still praying, God, take care of us, this and that. And the families have been so faithful to join us in that. But they know it. We all see it. We build a community. God has used us to build a community. So when I look back on that word in Israel, when he says you're going to do military, that's exactly what it is. I'm doing it. We're doing it right now, the Israeli hand-to-hand combat thing. We're seeing an army rise up in the midst of this thing that God called forth so many years ago. What is God calling you to do? And what is the radical obedience he wants you to do that really, it just translates to digging a hole. We think it's so radical, but it's digging a hole. God's the one that fills the valley with the water. God's the one that completely decimates the obstacles and the enemies in your life when you step out and dig a hole. So I want uh, to ask the, the ministry team and the worship team to come up. And this is what I want to encourage you to do. I hope this story has helped you kind of see things in a way that would put a fire in your heart to seek the Lord the way Jehoshaphat did and not the way that the world is tempting you to do. Focus on the lover of your soul, the God of all creation, the Father who loves you, and watch what he does, but it doesn't stop there. What is he asking you to do? So, Let's, let's all stand, and, and, and here's what we can do. We have, we have uh, the prayer ministry team up here. Maybe you feel like, I want someone to pray for me. Maybe you're just standing there, and there's something stirring in your heart, and you're saying, wow, I have this going on. I would like to see God do what he did for Jehoshaphat and for Judah and for Israel in my life. So I want to encourage you. Bow your head as I pray this with you. Lord, show us what it is you want us to do to put action to faith, to watch you in a radical way. And if you, wanna, if, if you want prayer ministry, you want people to lay hands on you for whatever it is, whatever that obstacle, whatever that adversity, whatever that challenge is, I want you to come forward right now. Take this as the time. The, the minstrels are, are, are playing. And the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to your heart and prophesying, saying, I got this. I have this. I will take care of this situation. So if that's you, you're feeling buried in a situation and you need prayer, please feel free to come up and receive prayer. Or where you're at right now, Lord, touch. Lord, reveal. Holy Spirit, as we worship you, Speak to the hearts of your people in this place. Unlock their hearts that they would hear your voice and they would respond with faith. Holy Spirit, I'd ask right now, even in this room, that you'd begin to drop those ideas. That you would begin to make it clear how you want them to pick the shovel up and to dig the hole. What does that look like, Lord? What is it that maybe they they haven't been thinking about or never could have imagined? I ask right now, Holy Spirit, release it. Pour it out right now in this place. Release your spirit. 
Send those ideas forth. Send the solution forth. The promises. Some of you have so many promises here and you've been standing on them. And God is saying to you, I will fulfill this promise. I will. I'm asking you to step out in faith and do this. In whatever way, make it known. Say, Lord, here I am. I see the valley. I'm dry and thirsty. But I'm going to dig a hole. Because I know you will fill it. Holy Spirit, lead me. Guide me. Show me what you want to show me. Give me eyes to see. Ears to hear. And a heart to understand. And I give you glory. In the mighty name of Jesus.